Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is about sharing your faith, a conversation about how we share our faith in the modern world, what works, what doesn't, whether we need to take a few new directions or revive old gems. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Ryan Galliott, co-host, resident artist and geek. That's me. And also... <laughs> Also joined by Daniel Ang, who's the director of the Sydney Centre for Evangelisation, among many other hats. Welcome, Daniel. Great to be with you. Before we get started, just a reminder that if you like the show, you should subscribe on your podcast app, and that way you won't miss an episode. So sharing your faith. When we talk about sharing our faith, the first thing that comes to mind is, why even bother? Because frankly, in Australia, isn't it religion and politics are the two subjects you're not allowed to talk about around a barbecue? It's just absolutely off. I went to That's my right. next door neighbor and introduced myself and said, what do you do for a living? And we were having a beautiful chat until I said, I teach theology. And he said, well, you can keep all of that. And off he went. <laughs> it's a kind of a, a social, um, what is it, barrier or a kind of a, a rule that you don't talk about religion. Why would we bother people with this stuff? Look, I think one of the primary reasons we need to talk about our faith is that Jesus calls us to. You know, when we look at the New Testament, he calls and forms disciples. And, you know, in our own day, evangelization really expresses our own discipleship in Christ. You know, it's good news. Um, I often think of the grandmothers who have beautiful grandchildren and they can't wait to show just about everyone the photos of their children or their grandchildren. <laughs> and, and it's much like that. If we do believe gospel's good news, then naturally we want to share that with others. And we, and we want to do that with love. Uh, we need to do that in a way that's culturally sensitive, that the way that we share the gospel changes. But uh, the other reason I think, which has really probably been a driving um, motive for me, has simply been that you know we, we, we do believe that all humanity is made in the image of God and called to grow in his likeness and that likeness we encounter in jesus who's the face of the father mm. and so for that anthropological reason and that salvific reason we believe everyone is destined to to encounter christ and um you know we're blessed with being called to share our faith uh, it, it's there's no great invitation to, to share something that has made our own lives and we believe it's good news yeah. for others so, yeah. like you said, if we come across something that's amazing and that's good for us, we want to share it with the people we love. And if we love all people as we're called to, we want to share it. Box, would you have any sort of angle on that? That's, I mean, that's basically what I was going to say is that coming across a lot of the youth leaders that I've worked with in the past is that uh, we genuinely believe it's the best place we can be. It's the best end that we desire and therefore we desire it for others as well, which, you know, works well with the understanding of love being wanting the best for the other person. Sure. It's just how we go about that can be very uh, confrontational sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to go there because because if someone might be listening to this who's not a Christian, they might say, well, that's all right for you guys. You think that's yeah. good for you. Uh, religion hasn't worked for me uh, when I've tried it out. I had a bad experience with some parts of religion, and so um, I don't want this religion thing of yours. It's okay for you. It's not good for me, um, and so keep it to yourself. What would we say to that? 
Look, I think one of the dangers for those of us who, you know, are very much involved in the life of the church is that we do have a passion. We have a passion for our faith. We have convictions. We've made decisions. We've shaped our life around this gospel. So we believe it's good news. And I think you pointed out really well there, Peter, that that is our particular perspective. But we're meeting people who don't come from that background, who don't share the same assumptions. And if we're a little bit, you know, if you like, the danger in passion is it, it it spills over into you know an aggression or a insensitivity to others, um, and and or all... it could just be boring. <laughs> the most boring guy in the room is the one that won't shut up about the latest yeah. football game and just yeah. keep going on and on and on about you. Go, oh my goodness, yeah. give it a rest, son. And basically, if if we're the person who who rabbits on about Our Lady or about um, you know the, some amazing theology of the body or something for hours and hours, what we've effectively done is put a great big neon sign over our head that says, <laughs> "Don't talk to this guy about religion." You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good form to answer questions that people aren't asking. You know, it doesn't, exactly, it doesn't lead exactly to a great right. conversation. So let's just repeat that. It's not good form to answer questions that people aren't asking. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I found as well that um, a lot of the time it's simply being, yes, tactful in your words, but also understanding the person you're speaking with. And, and I use the word person there particularly because we often see them as the the sub the, the object that we're speaking to or speaking yes. at really and, and not understanding a potential statistic in my evangelization yeah. efforts and 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 not as a person and, and when we do see them as a person we and try to value them and, and really love them as people then we try to speak their language right so that person that only ever sp- speaks about football then Analogies are great. <laughs> you know. yes. Yes, I have a friend like that. I have yeah. to use uh, lots of analogies. I'm not sure priests like to be compared to umpires, but that's uh, <laughs> that's another story. Can, can I talk about some experiences I've had um, growing up in evangelical? They had a particular way of sharing the faith, and they were very, very proactive and out there, and we often look to evangelicals and say, oh, they're really much better at it. I they were they were very active and it was very much a focus of their churches and they tended to get people in the door but what i noticed about them is that there's a very as you said it's more about the the getting people in than actually being a friend to them and the second thing is is that it depends what you're trying to like what your end game is because in with catholics evangelization is something that doesn't stop you and i and, and all of us have to be evangelized constantly yeah. We don't. We haven't reached the end of the evangelization process, and when we invite other people in, we're inviting them to join us in that process, not as if you know. Once they're in the door, we go tick. You're saved now, kind of thing. That, yeah, that's a big difference. Absolutely. But I yeah. remember later on in my life, I was a Lutheran pastor, and I remember sitting at a church council meeting, and they're saying, "How do we get people in the door?" And I jokingly said, "Well, it's easy to get people in the door. Just put up a sign that says free beer." Um, the question is, is whether they come for the right reason. Now, what scared me a little bit is that the several of the people at the table had a serious think about that option. <laughs> I was using it as a kind of a sarcastic option. And they're going, oh, that might work, you know. No, stop. We've got to be honest about what we're selling. We've got to be honest about what we're doing. Yeah, that's right. It's not about outreach at any, any way and people aren't objects of kind of some some ecclesial strategy they are people like ourselves and i think if we look at our own journeys we know that 
people have shown us grace and love and patience and all those good things that provide us with accompaniment. You know, and, and just remembering our own story and remembering our own uh, journey of faith can it's a, it's a good reminder of how we might want to reach out to others. Yeah, and also that we we can change in the process, so we're not you know there yet. So often I've found that when I'm talking to non-Christian friends, they actually challenge me in ways that are uncomfortable. And I have to think, whoa, okay, I've got to grow in this area and you're helping me grow. And that's part of also part of evangelization, that I'm being challenged and pushed and closer to Christ, hopefully. Um, in terms of actual, we just joked about the, the free beer thing, but any kind of coercion or sneaky tactics or, mm. you know, those kinds of things is is a little bit dangerous because it it actually isn't the way God does things and it undermines the free will that God has given every person. The only proper way for someone to become a Catholic is by their own choice. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the dangers for us is that, you know, we can turn evangelization into a technique. Right. You know, and that's the worst thing you can do with the gospel is or a program is in some of, respects. That's right. That's right, a program or technique, or and everyone's looking for the one thing that can change their parish or their community. But the one thing that's going to change yeah. our communities is 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 people making disciples of others and people having great conversation, showing the joy of the gospel, listening well, uh, suffering with yeah. all those dimensions which make a community a community. So, Ryan, I remember a conversation we had last year on the podcast, and you you came up with the phrase, you can't give what you don't have. Yes. <laughs> um, so you want to expand on that a little bit more? Well, I mean, when I said that, uh, this particular view that faith, and especially the faith that we try to help others participate in, is a relationship. It's our relationship with God. And that's very unique to each person. And yes, there's the capital T tradition and there's the solid core of our faith that is unchanging. But there's the small traditions as well, and that gives us an understanding that how we speak to individuals and, and people merely transmits what we have. And if we don't have that relationship ourselves, then we can't expect them to also develop it. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a burden of our, really good at smelling a, a fake. Yeah, that's right. Like, well, there's a great we burden off our shoulder when we realize that it's not us that converts or in inverted commas, converts yeah. people. It's, it's them in a relationship with Christ. We, we can help yep. them understand this relationship. Right. Um, and hopefully we can be people that can help them understand what the teachings are, you know, further down the track if they need it. But um, Yeah. So there was a study done in the US on why people convert, and it looked at a whole range of converts to the, to the faith. Leaving aside the number one reason people became Catholic in that year, which was about 10 years ago, uh, was getting married to a Catholic. So that, you know, that, <laughs> that kind of, uh, we, we're not going to use this as a technique. It just happens to be the most, most frequent way people come across the church. But that's an example of what you said, Ryan, just on the side, mm -hmm. that someone's come into a relationship with someone and they see this as part of their life, an important part of them, and they're attracted to that. And for various mm -hmm. reasons, they come into it. But apart from that, the number one reason was that someone had had some kind of shake-up in their life, that something had caused them to question their own beliefs, their own foundations, their own community, and their own, uh, you know, support structures. And they 
then went looking. What the study showed, though, is that almost nobody converts who is comfortable. If they're comfortable where they are, they don't move. And you can talk to them about all the wonderful things over there, but if they're happy where they are, it doesn't work. But one thing that really stuck out in the study was when when they do actually get to that uh, the place of discomfort, they don't go looking for new people by and large. They mm. go to the people they know, they trust, who've been honest and have lived yeah. their faith with integrity, and they ask them the questions. Um, and it n- almost never is someone who's ranted at them. <laughs> it's always someone I mean, who's been patient <laughs> and kind. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to run retreats at parishes and, and youth groups with, with a team of other people. And you could see the kids at times turn off when we're sharing what the church teaches. But um, you, you see people switch back on when you start to give testimonies. And I've had several youth come back to me afterwards and say, hey, I didn't get that other stuff, but I didn't realize that you also suffered this or did this or struggle with this. Um, yeah. And, and it's that imperfection of our own lives and that we still get up and try, uh, you know, bolstered by that relationship. When people can identify find, with the story, they really yeah, get into it. Yeah. And stories are powerful. I mean, there's a good reason Christ taught with stories in the Gospels. It was a very wise move. Yeah, absolutely. what he was doing. That's right. And I think the other part of that is that in terms of witness and testimony, that, you know, so many people don't believe that change in their life is possible. Yeah, so there's there's a kind of hopelessness there, isn't there? Yeah, there is, and I think seeing stories of changed lives gives people an encouragement. Number one, to know that they're also imperfect and they're imperfect with others, yeah. but also that they're not um, devoid of hope and that they have the potential to live a very fulfilled life. And so many, all of us want that. All of us are continually seeking yeah. that fulfilment. And often when we talk to people, though, they that hopelessness is is inbuilt in their dialogue. So I've spoken to many, many people about the faith, and I make the mistake constantly of assuming this is the first time they've ever talked about it. But they've had a whole lifetime of conversations with God, either subconscious or fully conscious, and they've usually, if they're not already within the church, there's been a, not a good conversation. There's been a, a tension or a, or a rejection there, and if it, and are often if it comes from someone who has been raised in any way vaguely Christian, there's a sense of guilt in some way. Um, Mm -hmm. And every time I've spoken to someone who's outside the church, while I might say something loving and I might say something quite genuine, if it's it's clearly Catholic what I'm saying, then what they're hearing is, you're a sinner. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It doesn't matter how well I say it. And so it's almost, you almost have to have the kind of friendship that demonstrates you don't think that about them, that you don't treat them that way uh, before you can even step over certain lines and bring them into that conversation. You need a baseline of trust. Yeah. That, that's a so, good line, the baseline of trust. Sorry, Ryan. I think part of that as well, and building the baseline of trust is being, I'm guilty of this, but being honest enough to say, hey, I don't know that answer. You know, when something comes up, to be honest enough to say, hey, I don't know that, maybe we can look at that together, you know, yeah. or... Yeah, um, because it is that journey. It is that relationship. It's not about mm. having all the answers, but helping someone. Another thing that puts this, um, this is a confession time. I'm thinking, oh gosh, I better be careful. <laughs> but <laughs> other thing that puts me off a little bit about some Christians is they try and explain, like they defend God rather than me. 
Now, that sounds a little bit weird. I'll, I'll just better explain mm. what I mean. When I'm asking hard questions or in the times of my life when I've asked hard questions, often I'll, Christians are more interested in defending God than they are in actually listening to me. Mm. It's, it's like the mm -hmm. book of Job. Job's going, what yeah. the heck? This isn't fair. And his friends start out kind of comforting him and then build into um, sort of defending God. And in the end, God tells them off. And he says, you didn't tell the truth about me. You were so busy defending me, you actually defamed me. <laughs> Whereas Job's told the truth about me that I'm not like this. This isn't my doing. And he's saying, what the heck? This isn't just. Yeah, you're right, Job. It wasn't just. And it's not fair. And you were right about God. Uh, and that you don't know what's going on. We tend to do that sometimes when we're confronted by people's aggression or questions, and almost nobody comes at us. I mean, there's people who come at me all the time with scripture questions, which are very obscure. God says something in the Old Testament. What do you think of that? And they don't care. They're just trying to provoke. They're trying to prove me wrong so they don't have to worry about religion. <laughs> so that's right. And those conversations, look, they can be helpful in some ways. You can learn more about the faith or different perspectives, but no one's really converted by arguments alone. You mm. know, that's the thing. You know, it's um, if it stays at that you know, rationalistic level only or um, doesn't take into account the context where people are coming from or their concerns and desires, then we can be preaching a message which, if you like, doesn't have anywhere to land, if we're not even beginning to talk, really, in some respects. Yeah. Uh, and there needs to be a community to invite them to, too, because let's say we intellectually yeah. convince someone of the faith completely and then can't take them anywhere to, to share that and, <laughs> and talk and have a community. Sorry, you, you're nodding away their box. Go ahead. No, no, no. You keep going. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> Well, it's hard, and especially as as Catholics get, um, especially I'm guessing, box. You could give us more perspective on this as a younger Catholic. You know, where do you go? There's less and less um, people involved. Yeah, I mean, the great thing is, since I got involved in youth ministry, I remember hearing that there were almost in the single digits of youth groups uh, when I first started getting involved. I mean, there were a few movements, but very few youth groups back in what, 2000 um, in Sydney Archdiocese. And that blossomed as things like World Youth Day came to the fore. Mm. Um, those communities are so unique and, and enclosed in and of themselves sometimes that they're just different cultures. And yep. trying to bring someone in can be feel very threatening to them as well because a lot of those cultures can sometimes be very uh, – exclusive feeling and also that they if your dynamic of your group is perfect you don't want someone crashing in and making <laughs> upsetting it <laughs> yeah, that's right but can i throw this question wider wider than just youth groups and dan especially you've got an interest in this area have mm. we actually changed the way we do community and it ha what effect does that have on our evangelization because the youth group is a byproduct of the idea of a local parish yeah you know the and the, the right. all those kinds of groups are byproducts of having your local group for the local thing, the motor car and all of the other means of transport and the and the, the internet, social media, all these things have changed the way we do community, for better or worse. What does evangelization look like now and what does community look like now in terms of Christian evangelization? There's no doubt that community is the context in which people come to faith, not only come to faith, but are supported. We all need community. No one knows about Jesus if it wasn't for the community of the church. We didn't 
wake up one day and chew at Jesus. It's because this community is proclaimed him through the generations. So, so community is absolutely essential to our faith. But we have to admit when we look around our parishes or we look about around um, wherever we might worship and so on, that we don't always feel the power of community in our lives. You know, if there's no welcome, no hospitality, people are out the door before the priest hits the back of the church, all of that. If there's a bit of a fray in a car park, all those kind of human interactions say something about how we receive one another. So, and, and Ryan's absolutely right. You know, there are, there are young people who haven't necessarily always found that community. There's sometimes fewer people in those youth groups as there once was. And so they're connecting across parishes and regions, deaneries, big World Youth Day events, uh, because our sense of belonging is about the relationship. It's not simply fixed to a venue. You know, the Vatican talks about this thing called the existential parish in the sense that it's not simply defined by territory anymore. It's mm. it's about where people feel belonging and nurtured. That's, that's already happening a little bit when you have the ordinariate, for example, the Anglican ordinariate or the Maronites or the various communities which are based around a, a, a ethnic background or a particular yeah. uh, liturgy or something like that. And um, I know the extraordinary right people gather from a quite a range of, uh, of space. I'm noticing, yeah. though, in, in ordinary parishes, people will drive past two or three other parishes to go to the one that they particularly feel at home in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and again, um, I, when I first did that, I felt quite guilty because I thought there was some sort of obligation to support the local place. But given that we have so many uh, places in such a small area, I mean, these the, the historic reason for them being that close is that people didn't travel that far, and so you needed to have something near there. That's um, it. And in Australia, we've always had more churches than we needed in the sense that, you know, we, we had a church on every corner. It was like the Irish model, right? You had a church in your village, and every suburb had one. Um, and now it's, it's, it's an exciting time because, yeah, people are making decisions, and, and sure, some have chosen to walk from the faith or no longer engage with the church, but those who are engaging with the church are making decisions. They're intentional, yeah. uh, and that's really promising. If I can, you, you just touched on something there. Some people have walked away, and that's the reality of a large number of people who tick the Catholic box on the census and, and don't turn up. There's yeah. a bit of a difference in the statistics because if you're a Baptist, from my experience of being in that range, you don't tick the box if you're not going to church. So it looks like they've got a much higher involvement. Um, but if you know, if your grandmother went to a Catholic school and happened to have you baptized, they're still ticking the Catholic box. So that I, I'm not quite sure we're quite as disastrous as the stats say, but it's not good. Mm. I wonder though, G.K. Chesterton's quote where he says there are perhaps a hundred people in the world who hate the ch church, and you know millions who hate what they think the church is, mm. because we've had so much. Absolutely. I mean, there's been. I think you did right there. I think there's no doubt that, you know, for example, here in Australia, we've it's been a difficult few years, obviously, uh, for the church and in terms of its credibility in the public square. But there's also an aspect of the church which is not often uh, spoken about, but we have this rich wisdom of traditions and spiritual practices and ways of prayer and schools of spirituality and classic texts and beautiful communities and goodwilled people who are living out worshiping God and, and, and serving the wider works. community. Things like hospitals right, and schools yeah. and, and yeah. charities and St. Vincent de Paul's and all that. I wonder if it's because 
I mean, there's been many great things done by the commercialization of these things, such as the school systems and the, and the hospitals. And there's, you know, the standards have risen immensely and the church can do so much more, but they're not quite as associated with Catholicism as they used to be. And I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, the good stuff, if you like, isn't rubbing off on the rest of us. Uh, I think when people talk about Catholic now, they mostly think of priests and they mostly think of a mass. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the word Catholic today is, you know, it can mean it can mean that, you know, your your grandmother who's passed away was Catholic, or it means you're living like Mother Teresa and everything in between. Yes. Um, yeah. But I think the, the the point is that I think as, as Catholics, we haven't necessarily shown our people the richness of our own tradition. And yes. as, so, so, as you say, Peter, that people are turning away from the church sometimes because, but they're turning away from the church which they never knew. Or they yeah. never shared or experienced. Yeah. Um, so I think there's still a lot of potential there because I think when people talk about Jesus and the gospel and say, well, can't exactly read scripture, they pray. Yeah. Um, they're dedicated. They're good-willed people. They are committed to social justice. They're committed to life. All of those things, our real testimony can show a very different church than the one they're rejecting in their minds or by rumor. Something I encountered uh, a few years back where uh, a friend of mine was uh, having an abortion. She wanted to have an abortion. Um, and another friend of mine was really struggling with it and eventually came to me and said, I just can't talk to this person anymore because I hate what she's done. And I mm-hmm. said, well, that's, it's precisely the time that she needs someone there with her to mm-hmm. be a friend. And it's almost this whole thing like you know, stick to the right without understanding what, you know, it's, it's the forgetting the reason for the law, you know, kind of thing. We, we forget that the person who's pregnant is just as important as the baby and, and vice versa, the baby is just as important. as. Um, so it was that situation uh, which we've spoken about several of those elements already, but um, understanding the person. Uh, and, and Box, yeah. I think you're onto something there. It's easy to love someone when they agree with us and they're doing everything we like them to do. That's right. Um, the, the kind of love that Christ calls us to is the love which loves them even when they're hurting us or persecuting us or doing something that we think is quite bad. Um, and love doesn't mean we have to emotionally attach to them. It just simply means we need to be just and fair and yeah. kind and re- return good for evil. I, I think sometimes the way that we seek to reach out to others, we, we, we come sometimes think we as Christians have to go out, um, clean people up, and then bring them to church, but that's not how fishing works. You know, you catch the fish first in whatever state they might be, and then you walk with them um, and and see that renewal of life. But you know, if 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 we've only got you know people who look like us around us in the pews or whatever else, we might not be um, as outreaching as the gospel invites. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. We had a, a prior podcast, Daniel, which had we had tradies on Catholic tradies, right? And I asked them how many Catholics are tradies. Um, and it was an interesting answer because these guys were two Caucasians and they said almost none. Um, and I asked the question, is Western Catholicism then a white man's game? Right. And, and it's a ludicrous thing to say, by the way. I deliberately baiting him when I said it because in Sydney, clearly we have, I think, less um, you know, Caucasians than we do people from all sorts of different origins. Um, yeah. The strength of the faith is very much in our in our ethnic communities. It does seem as if um, sometimes the standards we set and the ways we go about being Catholics in Australia are very Anglo, and there's a kind of 
you know, stiff upper lip Anglo kind of art and culture and and way of speaking. And if, if the homeless guy walks in or if someone comes in and they're a bit loud or boisterous, oh, shush, 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 that's not what we do here. There's, there's a kind yeah. of a, you know, a, almost a cultural or a social set that we're trying to preserve. Uh, absolutely. We'd like 40% of our mass attenders right across Australia are from a migrant background. Right. right? And, and, and increasing every year, obviously, as we see, you know, in some of our parishes, the numbers decline. Um, in some parishes, they're, they're growing, but that is really always, uh, at least in recent years, been driven by migrant communities. And the issue there is, I think, you know, we have to be careful to acknowledge that reality because sometimes we make claims about the church. For example, we might say that, you know, the old devotions are kind of fading away and no one's interested in the rosary or Fatima or whatever it might be, but actually spend some time with migrant communities and you'll find enormous faithfulness, you'll find enormous devotion. Yes. Um, so simply because it might not be our cup of tea, if you like, in the church, doesn't mean that it's not yeah. feeding, sustaining, and, and flourishing elsewhere. If I can be a little bit provocative, Daniel, I've noticed that um, when people say the youth don't want this, um, almost <laughs> always that actually translates to I don't want that. That's right. And it, I have, Maya culpa, that's, I have been guilty of that in the past. The youth don't want that. And my kids have gone, actually, I, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> so they've actually pulled me back into line. <laughs> Always dangerous to make yourself to magisterium in some ways. And, you know, it, it, like, it, and that's the thing. There's, there's the other culture, which we don't often talk about. I mean, there is migrant culture, ethnic culture, but there's also a culture of ages, right? So, so as, you know, we're getting older, at least I'm getting older, um, and fast, we, we look at younger generations and think, well, that's not how I would have done it, or it's not familiar to me, but am I open enough to recognize it is of the gospel and, and, and people will find their own way on their own time? And that's it's that true. generosity, which I think is what, what being Catholic's about, is we recognize that there's more than one way to encounter Christ and one more, more than one way of expressing him. It, it is true. The trick is to um, be able to tell which parts are just different and which parts can be destructive because some of the things that several popes in a row now have pointed out about social media, for example, are valid mm. concerns. You know, the kind of isolation that it can bring about, the, the disassociation with persons in our, you know, we might treat someone nastily because they're online, but not we wouldn't do it in person. In person, yeah. yeah. So we could spot those things and go, hang on, that's not quite how people should be treated. And in some respects, maybe this is a subject for another podcast, but in some respects, um, Evangelization relies us on us being a little bit countercultural. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that is probably the topic for another week podcast. But that's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with your podcast device, maybe hang on until you hear the second half of this discussion. But you can subscribe to our podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord, and you'll find all the shows there. Be sure to write us a review on iTunes if you haven't already done so, so that other people can find the podcast. This is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast. We think that's an idea worth getting behind, so tell your friends. Before we go, let's uh, have time for a brief shout-out. Brian. I want to shout-out to my friends out there that I haven't seen during COVID period. I hope you're all well. Oh, shout out to my family, shout out to the communities of the Archdiocese. Hope you're looking forward to the launch of our Archdiocese mission plan on the 12th of December. <laughs> I, I want to shout out to all the people who work tire tirelessly in Catholic missions um, uh, in your own way. You think nobody's noticing you, but they do. Every time I come across someone and ask them about the reason they're even interested in Catholicism, it's almost always because they met someone who was doing something small out of love. 
so shout out to you. That's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life. <laughs>